Hey, I am so glad that you found my podcast, Processing the Process. I actually am going to ask you to um, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast. And if you would please review, comment, rate, or like my podcast, that would be terrific. Mostly so that other people like you can find it more readily. I just wanted to do this in lieu of my normal intro to really encourage people to leave me feedback, any comments I would love. You can find me on Instagram at Processing the Process PTP. And you can also find me on Facebook at PTP dash Lisa Tams. PTP dash L I S A T H A M S. The more that that kind of interaction happens, somehow with algorithms, the easier it is for others to be able to come across this if they, in fact, are looking for this kind of information. And, of course, you can always email me directly at lisatams at aol.com. If you choose to do that, if you can put processing the process or PTP in the subject line, that would help me uh, not to accidentally (laughs) delete it as I'm going through and trying to keep up with my crazy full email inbox. This is a very niche community. There's not much out there podcast-wise from a parent's perspective about this process of auditioning for musical theater programs and having children who are aspiring to become musical theater actors and actresses. So I am going to appeal to you to please do that. Thanks. I appreciate you, and I hope that you are finding this helpful, valuable, comforting, informative, all the things. All right. Thanks very much. Hello. I know I have been a stranger and I have no great excuse. I've just kind of been doing this at my leisure. As you all know, it is strange times right now. Today is June 14th. This podcast is episode 20. The name of this episode is Embrace What Makes You Different. I'm speaking with Jack Kay. He is a graduate of Juilliard's vocal performance program. We cover, as always, a lot. Uh, I would say as a parent listening, there's a lot of good, just things that open your eyes a little bit. Jack had the desire in his heart to perform as a musical theater actor, ultimately. So we cover lots, some particular things of interest, musical theater grads, and the idea of some uniformity there that actually doesn't work to the advantage of MT graduates. Just the climate has changed based on the content, and, well, you'll listen and see I believe that there's still space for everyone because the classic shows aren't going away, but the newer shows are looking for something possibly not so trained. I'm not sure that's the right word, Um, but just listen and you'll see. And then Juilliard actually didn't have a showcase. So in Jack's words, he didn't get an industry push and he struggled from a lack of information. And so he kind of, well, not kind of, he he created his own sort of training within his program or in addition to his program. And then he also went on to do some further education after graduation and has since um, signed with an agent. And I just found that also just so super interesting. Um, We talk about personal balance as a performer and the awareness of what you are taking in that is shaping you. He talks really openly just about some struggles with his identity as a performer 
and just the importance of mental health and how that is playing into the industry right now as well. I would say that he is an overcomer. (laughs) Young male, faced challenges that could have gotten in the way, but he kept pushing through because of his passion. And I love that he says in the end, no regrets. He just shared a lot of excellent thoughts and ideas that as a parent with a student headed in this direction are just good things to have on your radar. And if you're a student listening, same. You're just going to hear it firsthand. Just good food for thought. All right. I hope everyone is doing well. Just a little update on my family. We're good. Uh, We have not had any corona health issues. We're in Michigan and things are starting to open up. Restaurants actually just opened up this week. Salons are opening tomorrow, which is a big thing for women. Um, It's summer, so we were able to get out on the water a little bit, which is super exciting. Ellie is nannying. Tommy's working in a bike shop. Giovanni graduated eighth grade and is trying to figure out how to fill his summer. And Frankie is back in New York and he's actually working a landscaping job, New York style. Um, Terraces, rooftops, balconies, but also outside of Manhattan, traditional landscaping jobs. And my husband is back at work in his office. I am actually not sure about what exactly I'm doing. (laughs) A lot of planning and researching different, different things. I'm definitely a thinker. And when something comes to mind, I get right on it and start finding out all the information I can about it. And um, until the next thing comes up, and that's kind of how I've been spending my time, I guess. But I hope all of you out there are healthy. Um, I know that COVID has been life pausing, and I hope that you've been able to take advantage of that part of it and everything uh, having to do with Black Lives Matter now that is is also stirring. My mind is reeling on that too, and I just feel like love is love, and we're all ultimately our soul, and there is no, there's nothing that divides us in um, the core of who we truly are. And I have hope and faith and love for everyone and for all of you listening. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, everyone. I am here with Jack Kay. Uh, he is a friend of our families. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> He's been to our house so many times, and this is like kind of a weird scenario, <laughs> but we love him, and uh, we've known him now for God, it has eight to be years. Like eight years, yeah. Nine. Yes. Yeah. You and Frankie are close friends. Very close, yes. Um, just give a little history to where you are now, and then we'll elaborate. Very cool. Okay. So, Frankie and I obviously did a lot of shows together in high school. I was in show choir with, I did a lot of musical theater. But at the same time, I was studying with a teacher who had gotten his master's at Juilliard for voice, and he kind of like recognized my ability to sing classically and was really encouraging me to pursue that. And so... Upon hearing his advice, I applied to classical voice programs for college. I did all those auditions, and I ended up getting into Juilliard for undergrad, which was <laughs> astonishing. I, I couldn't really believe it. I, I never really... So many people dream of going to Juilliard their whole lives, and I really didn't. I did never considered it to be, like, a, a realistic option but when it happened obviously I didn't turn it down so I got my degree in bachelor's in music from Juilliard in classical voice so I studied a lot of like classical art song which is just kind of like standalone songs that don't belong to an opera and I studied a lot of opera but while I was there I kind of struggled with my identity because I really wished I was in a musical theater program and I considered transferring But at some point in my second year, I kind of just decided that I was going to dedicate a lot of time outside of my curriculum to learning musical theater songs, requesting extra coachings with my acting teachers, extra coachings with some of the faculty who had experience and who could give me coachings on musical theater songs and kind of made it my own little independent study. And by the end of it, everyone kind of understood that that was what I was going to pursue and was pretty much supportive of it. So 
I, you know, I've graduated and I recently signed with the mine agency and I'm going out for acting auditions now and I'm really excited. So cool. <laughs> so cool. So I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was yeah. a, it was a huge accomplishment. Um, this past February, finally, um, getting representation was, it took, it, it took me a while. We can get into that, but mm-hmm. it was like a huge milestone for me in my path. Absolutely. Okay. Now I'm going to rewind. Right. You performed as a child. Yes. Yeah. Was that out of your own natural interest or was your family, did they put you out there? (laughs) I think as a child, I had three older siblings, so I kind of understood that like performing and singing, that was my way of standing out in kind of a bigger family and I really grew to like the way that felt being on stage, performing and receiving praise. So I sought it out through little theater programs, and I was in shows at the high school when I was in elementary school, and it was just like, over time, it was just what I wanted to do, it was what I involved myself in. It really was something I think I pursued, thankfully with the support of my Mm -hmm. parents, too. What kinds of things did you do outside of being in productions along the way? You mentioned your voice coach. Did you take dance classes? (sighs) Well... With any young male who's into performing and singing, there's always, like, the difficulty of being bullied and teased at school. And I think that really kept me from taking dance classes. I was very, um, very much concerned with the way people would treat me if they found that I took dance classes, so I never did. Which is a huge regret now, because if you plant those seeds early, you really have a huge advantage. But I did these Saturday, all-day-long acting programs. I definitely took some acting lessons here and there and was in some little, like, kid concerts here and there, but... Like, community programs? Did you have to travel to them? <laughs> My parents are, were just, like, kind of, like, the antithesis of stage parents. They were not the type to, like, look for auditions for me and kind of, like, drive me around. So everything I was involved with when I was younger was, like, strictly community. Okay. No national tours, nothing mm-hmm. like that as a kid. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I would have been ready for it, though. It was very, very low-key for a while, which is just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Giovanni... His whole thing resembles yours so far very much. Right. His interests. But because I had older kids go through it and they wish also that they had more dance foundation and saw what an advantage it would be, I encouraged that express interest of Giovanni's and... It did cause him, like, some heartache. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. It's so hard. Teens are so hard. It, it's, it's really hard. And it's really hard to kind of, like, impress upon them like how, how much they will be thankful for it later down the line. And personally, I'm so grateful that I pursued performing in the arts, you know, despite being bullied. Because, frankly, I look at my experience, my life, what I'm able to participate in and how I'm able to like live in New York and have this kind of like vibrant experience compared to the people who were bullying me in middle school, you know, I wouldn't trade it for a million years. It's so worth it to just commit yourself and to stick to it because it really pays in dividends later later down the line. Mm-hmm. Just an experience. I mean, not financially quite yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just, I don't know. I have a more varied, culturally and exciting life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the, a harder road, you know, it's worth it. It is. And it teaches you perseverance. And it teaches you how to not internalize comments from other people. Mm-hmm. But it, it does take time. It does take time. Right. Yeah, but I think you end up being a more evolved person. Yeah, in those cases, the hardship teaches you lessons, and you do, you mature at a faster rate, you know, which is sad because it is, it is, it is hardship and it is, it is pain, but it results in kind of just like greater wisdom down Mm -hmm. the line. It does. No, truly, truly. And it makes you a more compassionate person. Absolutely. And more empathy. Yep. So cheer your children um, through their individual interests 
So you decided to take this path right? for certain when? I agonized over it. I really did. I, I had a lot of strife, internal strife over the decision. I was really intimidated by the musical theater world because I was surrounded by people who were making kind of like large investments in summer programs. And so I felt behind and intimidated um, by musical theater. So I was reluctant to commit to that, but I was also reluctant to commit to classical voice because I just wasn't nearly as passionate about it. So I, I had a lot of anxiety surrounding that decision. But then I also had this voice teacher whose opinion I valued greatly kind of impressing upon me to do voice, and that ultimately was the tipping factor. So I decided to do that going into my senior year. And I made all those college applications and all of those recordings, and I was really committed to it. Did you have a coach? I did. I worked with a coach to just, like, sharpen up my musicality on my pieces. Her name was Jean Schneider. We worked once a week for two hours and got my stuff in shape. So when I went to those auditions, I felt super ready. You worked with her on your acting, too? Or did you, Not did you so ever much on acting. for musical theater programs? I did one. I did one. So I actually, my best friend at that time was at Boston Conservatory, mm. and I applied there, and I auditioned there. Okay. Right. <laughs> and being someone who didn't have their pieces prepared, like, I mean, I ended up getting in, and I ended up getting a scholarship, wow. too, so <laughs> that was kind of rewarding, but it was also just so terrifying. The dance call was so terrifying. Because <laughs> Boko's notorious for yeah. having one of the hardest dance calls. Mm-hmm. It was the only dance call I did. And I was not prepared at all for it. So it was a... Uh... How did you survive it? What would you say to somebody who has no dance experience but wants to audition for a musical theater program? I would say ground yourself in your individuality. Lead with your personality. Don't openly laugh at yourself while you're doing it. Mm. Just stand behind whatever you have to offer. I've seen a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot in dance calls by like sort of laughing off and like making it op- making it making it apparent that they know how bad they are. Mm. You know, they're like, Haha, oh my god, I'm so bad. Ah. You know, that is just not appealing. You know. Did you? Is that just in hindsight or? In hindsight, I think I. In an act of defense, like laughing and like ridiculing everything that I was doing because you don't want people to think that this is something you stand behind. But I remember watching people in there who kind of were at my same level of ability, just so confident with what they had to offer and they they definitely looked better than me. (laughs) (laughs) But there was an improv circle and I kind of leaned into like my comedy more (laughs) and that that's like an angle. You got to find your angle. In all these situations, you know. An improv circle, like, in dance? Yes. Okay, imagine me. Not a dancer. They have an improv circle where you go in the middle and you have, like, a certain count to show something special. And... Did you know about this in advance? No. Oh, my goodness. It's petrifying. What did you do? I, like, pretended to do tap dancing. I was, like, channeling Kristen Wiig, I remember. (laughs) Like, the way she would, like, do these kind of, like tap dancey moves uh-huh. and then I did a cartwheel. <laughs> <laughs> and can you do a cartwheel? Yeah, I can do an excellent cartwheel. Oh. I was in gymnastics as a child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that shows like that you have coordination. It's something. It just got me through it. That's awesome. Yeah. What a character building experience auditioning mm-hmm. is. Yes. All right, moving on. You said you agonized. When did you actually decide? It had to be end of junior year. I remember making my list. I was really excited about the idea of going to, like, Northwestern. I was really, really excited Mm -hmm. about or applying to places like NYU Mm -hmm. and Juilliard. And it wasn't even me being excited about studying voice there. It was just about being there. Mm -hmm. So So I did that. But even when I was applying, I remember a specific night. When I was, it was like October of my senior year when I was pretty much locked in doing it. I remember sitting in my basement and just staring at the wall and being like frozen with anxiety because I just knew that I was making a mistake or I was, I wasn't following my intuition entirely. And then even when I got to school, 
like the first week of Juilliard, I I opened up the Common App and started applying other places. Oh, so who know? knows if I ever really decided. My first week of Juilliard, I I was calling my parents and threatening to transfer because I was just terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. Terrified of what? I had kind of spent the week talking to current students in my program. And a lot of them were really blunt about the experience, about how grueling it is, and about how, how just how intense it can make you feel. Um, and I doubted my ability to withstand that pressure due to my reluctance to commit to this art form. I didn't know if I was willing to go through that for the sake of being involved in classical music. I mm-hmm. was just, I just didn't know if I was in the right place. Mm-hmm. And over time, like, I don't know, it, it was very much like a, an on and off love affair with, mm-hmm. the, with the program. Because I did feel like I was learning. I was getting excellent training. You could feel that. And the people I was working with were so, so cutting edge and so at the top of their game and... We got to work on acting, and they were open to me pursuing musical theater, but, you know, I was still spending hours and hours and hours on work that I, I wasn't passionate about it, mm-hmm. and I was being publicly ridiculed for my work, but it was work on things that, that didn't speak to me mm-hmm. personally, so it was difficult. We would sing in front of our class, and we would get very Critical. blunt criticisms in front of everyone. When you know that your work isn't necessarily up to par, because... You're just not so personally invested in it as everyone else is. It it just gets tiring because you just know you're like I know. Uh-huh. Then I know, but you still care. You still have pride. You still identify as a person who's like really high quality over time, and your heart isn't in it. But you just keep getting. I don't know. That experience contains like multitudes of feelings and experiences. Mm. I don't regret it. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in the end, that's the most important thing. Right. It taught me a lot of lessons, and I have like a kind of a unique perspective on musical theater now coming from that school, which has played to my benefit, I think. Mm-hmm. You're a trained vocalist. Yeah. That's a great foundation, right. but your abilities extend so far beyond that. Mm-hmm. Like, you can sing any style. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> I do feel comfortable singing, like, a lot of different styles. I mean, it's like being a dancer, even if you're not going to be a ballerina, you have to take ballet. It is the right. foundation of dance. If you don't, people who know what they're talking about and know what they're looking at can see that. Right. And in the room, when I'm auditioning for something, like, I can spot the moment they look at my resume and they see Juilliard on it. It's intriguing. It's an asset. My agents actually had me take my degree program off of it. It just says Juilliard. 2019, people ask, and they're like, which program? I would say probably the dance piece. (laughs) You know, it's probably hard to... But do you want those parts? That's a question. I mean, it certainly would play to my advantage to have a little bit more dance training, just to have a little bit more, like competence in a dance call personally i'm not seeking out roles that have a lot of dance elements so it's not like too much of a detriment but it certainly wouldn't hurt for me to be better Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) as it is with everything i just think right now in the industry there's a certain level of distaste for the way people come out of musical theater programs there's a lot that's programmed into them that people then later on seek more training to sort of unlearn Mm. and I don't really have any of that baggage right now Mm. so and that I know has played to my advantage I was actually talking to (laughs) randomly I was at a party with some of my relatives and Gavin Creel and his partner were there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was just chatting with them and his partner was in waitress and I was talking to him about my degree program and he's like not having a musical theater degree will be a huge benefit right now which I don't necessarily know is always true but that was like really empowering to me I get that line of thinking. I totally do, and I think that it is. If the kids buy into having to be this uniform thing, I mean, that's that's a part of it, too. Right. Is that they think that they need to be a certain way. Yeah. Well, I think that was, like, that really was the industry for a long time. 
which but I think that it's like it's changing so rapidly that more and more I think people are looking for something much more raw a performance to be much more individual and to have people who bring unique perspectives into the room versus kind of the standard interpretation of this character in this piece at mm-hmm. this time in that show yeah it's a hard balance because you never know what the room is going to be expecting, what they're looking for, and what version of the piece they are looking to cast. Mm-hmm. Are they going for a more standard, or are they going for a fresher, more kind of like rootsy, raw interpretation mm-hmm. of it? So it's it's kind of difficult because there are some people still conforming to that ideal, I would well, say. Well, it also depends on the shows. The shows that have been around forever and wrote to that typical musical theater package Mm -hmm. of a person. I mean, that still exists. Totally. But more is being written that is more raw and authentic and just goes a little deeper. Right. And so the required skill (laughs) set is expanding. Exactly. But I think there's room for... All of it. I agree. I agree. Okay, we're going to take a break real quick. We'll be right back. How many people were in your class at Julia? Nine. Nine. Nine people. That is hard. It's very hard. You really can't escape um, that microscope. (laughs) Everyone was under... And it's just not that many people to connect with. No, it's not. I was very lucky, like, my class was very close, very tight-knit, although at times there was, you know, t- sure, definitely tension, you, unescapable, but we were really close. It was very much a family dynamic. I mean, it's awesome going in, because I think you have, like, a built-in little community right? that you know is there, that you're part of, rather than being new to a university of thousands of people. Right. But at the same time, you're together for four years. Right. Pretty much all day, every day. Right. And it's very competitive what we do. And it's so personal. And so vulnerable. And so people can take kind of criticisms or losses very personally. For example, like casting can be very, very tough among a small group of people who are all vying for a certain role or a certain opportunity. It can become a little volatile. <laughs> it's hard. It, 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 I don't think it's avoidable tension among a group like that. Do you think, though, that it prepares you well for actually going into the real world of it? Right. I do. I think it's, it's just inherent to the industry and what we're doing. I will say there's it's a little bit more anonymous in the real world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen so much with people who you have like close relationships with. Mm. That That's kind of unique, I think, to a university setting. I mean, people do move to the city and go out for the same roles as their friends and like have that competitive situation going on, but I think it's like especially true in like an educational setting where people maneuver these social relationships dealing with competition competition. yeah do you think that the school like the staff helps that or do they just kind of leave it up to the kids i think there are definitely programs who certainly don't discourage people from being competitive with their classmates There are some programs that have a more kind of like progressive perspective on mental health. Mm, mm -hmm. And there are people who have a more cutthroat kind of like, I I don't know, you know, I, I didn't go to a musical theater school, so I can't quite speak on it. But my school, I don't think had the most progressive perspective on mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. or and whether or not we should be cutthroat with one another. I don't necessarily think they encouraged it, but they didn't address it. Mm-hmm. That mental health piece is, I mean, calling it that, it that's what it is. But right. I think that that is intimidating to people. So, because no one wants to think of themselves as mentally unhealthy because of the stereotype that's around that but 
it's a huge piece of life. Right. And I also think artists right. tend to be a little more emotional is not the right word. Deep. Empath- open. Like empathetic people who feel very deeply. Yes. And who care deeply. And I think they're just like more predisposed to like depression, depression. and anxiety. Yes. If a school can be open and accepting of that. For example, I personally have a lot of friends who went to Texas State. Yeah. It's a huge part of their program. Yes. I really commend them for that. Because there were so many moments when mentally I was under so much pressure and I was really at my wits end. And I was expected to just continue on, uh, you know, existing in this program as though I were, you know perfectly healthy and while I respect the idea of just like perseverance and um commitment and things like that I really respect that program for having a policy where you can really show up and be like you can call out and there's really no questions asked if you Mm -hmm. need to take a mental health day that's cutting edge to me yes I was impressed Caitlin Hopkins is the Texas State right program and I was impressed she gave a talk at Tommy went to an intensive in right. Cleveland with Broadway Works and Caitlin Hopkins was there speaking on mental health mm-hmm. and I was just like oh my gosh this is so needed it's it's so needed the the amount of people who feel genuine trauma by their performing arts program it's an issue. And it's not even like it's on purpose. It's just a lack of awareness, a lack of sensitivity. People might, maybe they say we're overly sensitive, but when you talk to the people who come out of the program, like Texas State, who come out of that program, they have nothing but good things to say about that experience because they were just really taken care of in that regard. Mm -hmm. And it's worth it. And the reality of just the general population and depression and anxiety, and then choosing this career path it has to be addressed it needs to be destigmatized well if you have a reputation for someone who struggles with depression and anxiety contributes to an idea that you're not dependable or you're not going to be you know on your mark on your spot that Mm -hmm. day when they need you i don't know how ready the industry is to accept those circumstances Mm -hmm. and those situations yeah (laughs) it's something that needs to be addressed and needs to come along with the awareness and all of that. So that is a huge piece of the audition process, (laughs) surviving the audition process, and then also getting through the program and, and then going out into the world. I think we will see more of that incorporated into, um, into the process. I agree. Every step of the way. Yeah. Pretty well-known agent in New York tweeted about how he comes across so many young, fresh, out-of-college students who don't know, apply for an apartment, don't know how to pay their taxes, mm. don't know how to mm. use actorsaccess.com. There are, like, all of these kind of shortcomings mm-hmm. of musical theater programs that are being exposed right now. And mental health is definitely a part of that. I think there are a lot of places that are kind of operating on outdated Mm -hmm. intel from the industry. And, well, this kind of ties into kind of how I found my agent. Okay, yeah, I want to hear. Okay, so (laughs) being from a classical voice program, I did not have a showcase. I didn't have any industry exposure due to the way that that's structured because opera careers don't really fully bloom until late 20s, early 30s because of your vocal maturity. So I didn't receive any industry push. So the year out of college was really, really hard. I was not represented at all. I was kind of struggling from a lack of information. And I was going to auditions and waiting in line and not getting seen. And it was really kind of soul crushing. And then I got invited to participate in something called the Link Program. This is a program hosted by the Growing Studio for current college students to participate in a week-long intensive where they have coaching sessions um, with directors from Broadway shows, agents, casting directors, and then at the end of the week, there's a full industry agent showcase. I'm not in college, but 
I got recommended and I ended up being accepted to it. And that really was such an important thing for me to be a part of. Um, it, you know, it cost a decent amount of money to be involved. Um, I think I paid around somewhere between one to $2,000 to be a part of it. I don't think that that's like a crazy (laughs) amount of money. I really don't. I mean, having sent kids to summer programs and whatnot. For what I got, it doesn't, you know, give you lodgings, but I was in class that week from like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the earliest, you know, so much information. Um, I got to work with the associate director from Jervin Hansen, Mean Girls, Aladdin, Hello Dolly, and make all these connections and then sing for these casting directors and make these connections was just so crucial. And they had to have been just blown away. Well, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> well, you know, some of them, they're going to be blunt with you. And if they think that, we can get into that, but. Okay. <laughs> At the end of it, I ended up having some agent meetings and ended up signing with an agency I was very excited to be with. And I know a lot of people who went through musical theater programs, good ones too, who showcased and signed with agents who they are so unhappy with and are going to be looking to showcase again, looking to sign up because the growing studio and other places, they offer these industry showcases and they're so popular. They're hard to get into. They send out the email and they're sold out right away because there are some... Do you have to audition for it? Um, No, I think you just apply. Nice. But in my program called the Link Program, you have to be nominated by a former member Mm. of the program. So it's Mm. a little exclusive, but hey, you know... Do your research, yeah. find the people involved, yeah. reach out. Yeah, so I ended up signing with agents, and I was involved in a reading of a new musical because of a nice. connection I made during that week. I, you know, I got work from it. And those programs like that, because there are programs that are sending students out with outdated information, there are a lot of people who have no choice but to turn to further education once they get out of college. It is an investment. It's it's what you should be spending your money on yeah. if you are not satisfied with your progress in your career. And it changed my experience completely. Unfortunately, about two or three weeks after I signed with my agents, I had to move home to Michigan because of the virus. But, you know, I have to be confident in the fact that when things open back up, we can get back rolling. So you said that they take current college students? So my that program is designed for juniors and seniors. So I had a freshman from CCM actually was in mm-hmm. it. And freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior people were in it. And would they also be looking to sign with an agent now? There were people who were signing early. But with the intention of returning to school. Returning to school and showcasing again, but they don't think it's a bad idea for them to be already on radars of agencies and there were people who were taking meetings but still planning to showcase again in the spring okay and there were schools that took issue with that so that's something you'll have to confront with your school personally with your school Mm -hmm. but um it was an amazing experience Hmm. i especially recommend the growing studio i think they are on uh, the most cutting edge information and how did you find them they reached out to me through. Through just email because I was nominated. They're one of the most prominent coaching studios for musical theater in the city. And they do a bunch of series with directors. And and that's a really good way to get to know the casting team of a show that you haven't been able to get in for. You pay mm-hmm. and they coach you on the material and mm-hmm. you do it for them. And then all of a sudden you're in their memory. They know who you are. They've seen you do yes. it. And that can really, really help you get in the room actually for shows. I coached with one of the directors for a show on Broadway in that week, and a month later I was in the room for them. Mm. That's just, that's that's what can happen with those classes. Right. So, the, Networking. Networking, but sometimes you have to invest in it. It's growing your skill set while also exposing yourself to decision makers. Yeah. 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 And just just being in that room, and they will tell you what they're looking for. And that's kind of invaluable information. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the details on all that stuff. But to be able to get yourself in front of the different teams. Exactly. Because having a representing agency is different than having contact with... With casting. Casting. Casting agencies. Agents. Yeah. I, 
in one of my agent meetings, they said to me, they say, you know, first year out, it's less about booking the job and winning the job, and it's more about winning the casting offices. Those really um, can be very enduring. So it's important to be prepared. And it's so important to make good first impressions. Not to say, I we had a... We had a, in my week with the growing studio, we had a session with Mary Sugarman, who's one of the lead casting uh, agents at Tara Rubin, which is one of the you know premier casting agencies in Broadway, New York. Um, and she said that she never holds one audition against an actor as long as they come in and they, they are prepared for, from that day forward. Mm-hmm. They shall never hold one audition. So you do have a chance to, you, you, it is redeemable, Redeem but at a certain point you're not going to be able to get back into the room. So mm-hmm. when you're given those opportunities, it is, it's just crucial to be so prepared that you're not stressing about it. So you can just truly show what you can do, but it's hard. Yeah. It's very hard when those nerves hit. Intimidating. It's so intimidating. And, I think at the beginning, before I signed with an agent, I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome because I just didn't come from that industry. So I, I do, I do think. What is I, an imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome. It's kind of where you feel like you don't belong and you're doing it wrong. You don't know what you're doing and you're you're an imposter in this okay. industry and you're you, you don't belong here. Mm. Um, so I think I definitely <laughs> had some bad auditions. I did. I really did, but. I think over time I've redeemed myself and I, I'm back in the room for those agencies, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not, it's not the end all be all when you have a bad audition for your casting, your casting agency on your first try. Mm-hmm. You have the chance to redeem yourself. And being a really easy person to work with is mm-hmm. so important. Your demeanor at any time when you're working with someone who is casting a show or directing a show outside the room you don't know how often I hear that the monitor is texting the table about the people outside of the room. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Are you kind of to yourself in those situations? It's it's just best to be that way. Yeah. You are protecting yourself from any sort of vibe that mm-hmm. someone else is going to throw your way. Right. Be friendly, but be to yourself. And be as composed as you can be when you get in the room. Mary Sugarman said... It's so clear to me the instant someone walks into a room when they're not ready to work. Mm. Keep it really concise in the room. Really calm, grounded. Go in, do the thing, leave. Mm-hmm. Don't try to try to win extra moments with the mm-hmm. casting team. Don't fiddle with the piano and your music for too long. Have the cuts ready. Go in, be a pro. That really reflects well upon you. What's <laughs> hard? It's hard to go in and just be chill. Not saying it from someone who does it right every time. Well, and... I don't know at what point in my life I came across this, but to act the way you want to feel, Mm. and then eventually you feel that way. Yeah, exactly. You know, when nerves really, really kick in, be prepared with the answers to questions that you know you're probably going to be asked. Yes. Well, I also think be prepared for the questions and then also have questions. Yeah. If they ask you any questions, you should have something to ask. Yeah. It shows that you've looked at looked at the material they've given you and you've analyzed it mm-hmm. and you're curious about the character. It reflects well upon you. It shows your interest, but it also shows that like you put some time exactly. into this, that you have valued it. And that you care. Ugh. Auditioning is a dance. It's, a, it's an art in and of itself. And a lot of it comes down to just your fortitude mm-hmm. and your stick Right. Because a lot of people will, I think after this pandemic, I really think that there's going to be a lot of fallout. There is going to be a lot of people who kind of resign from the industry. It's scary. Frozen yesterday announced that it's closing. Disney Broadway musical what? announced that it's closing on Broadway, which is oh my uniquely terrifying because it's not like it's some independent small show that's closing. It's a wow. Disney. high, like Disney. huge budget show. That can fund anything. Right. Wow. So that is really, really foreboding for a lot of actors. Yeah. 
Um, but personally, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> and I'm not, what are you doing right now? I'm teaching voice through a nonprofit called Musical Mentorship Collaborative, which is proving to be really fulfilling and really awesome. Writing music and looking into recording and making my own stuff because what else are you going to do during this time? And what style of music do you love to sing? I love something that has like anything with a sort of like bluesy, soulful, country sound to it. it suits me well. Because I don't have the highest voice at all. I have, I have like a, a pretty low instrument. And are you currently doing anything coach-wise or lessons? No, I'm not taking any lessons right now. I've been looking into it. I mean, I feel I have a pretty solid vocal technique as of right now, but... Mm, But you sing... Constantly. Yeah. And reading lots of books. I just downloaded an acting book on my Kindle, and so I'm going to try and get through some of those as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's an investment in your craft to, like, absorb a story and Mm -hmm. absorb a human experience. Memoirs and novels can be really enlightening to, like, the full spectrum of humanity that you're trying to emulate in your work, so... Yeah, reading just broadens your field of experience. Absolutely. So when you're asked to portray something, and you didn't personally have that experience Mm. to draw from, you can remember someone that you knew, air quotes, from a story, Yeah, you know, and tap into that. I kind of think of that like the saying, you are what you eat. That kind of really can apply to the things that the content that you allow in absolutely, and your exposures and your stimuli um in these moments of like being idle and being like kind of like immobilized Mm -hmm. i think it can be a really important time to invest in yourself and curate your exposures and your stimuli because i think if you allow yourself to be inundated with crap on the internet and Mm -hmm. social media Mm -hmm. and really kind of like a mundane um tv or whatever you kind of become that in your mental frame of mind sometimes not to say that you can't have some of it but it's more just like maintaining that balance is a gift you give yourself it's 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 an investment you give yourself and like you if you just put in some 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 just new information or some fresh information or some kind of something that you respect or you admire Uh, it's so of value as a performer just to broaden your palette of of exposures and information things you can draw on and you're there's nothing less inspiring than just looking at people in bathing suits on instagram that it's just not and it's just you're never going to be inspired your expectations also of the world around you and yourself then become so distorted I know. <laughs> by what it looks like to be in love, to be healthy, to like be cooking at home, right. all of these things. It's, you have to, moderation. It's all about moderation. <laughs> I never want to be that person that says, oh, social media is all bad. I can't believe you're on it. Because there are some... Really beautiful aspects of it. And a little bit of trash TV, a little bit of trash entertainment. It's healthy. I think it's like, it's totally fine. Everything in moderation. But I think like a lot of people fall into the trap of kind of like only consuming that Mm -hmm. kind of media. And it can be so just like, it's like poison, I think, for your brain. And especially for your creativity. I don't know. Those are my little soapbox. <laughs> well, and on that note, and kind of what we touched on earlier about mental health, knowing yourself and what keeps you moving forward, what mm-hmm. keeps you healthy, what keeps you balanced, and being proactive about mm-hmm. those things makes all the difference. Right. Like, you choose what you're going to put into your brain and right. into your body and who you're going to spend time with. Right. And being influenced, they call all these internet people. And I follow people too. Me too. We all do it. We all do it. We all follow influencers. <laughs> um, but they're influencers and they right. influence you. And anyone in your life with any consistent access to your to you is going to influence you. Right. Positively negatively um so you want to make sure that 
all of that, the people, the content, where you're spending your time is serving you well. Right. And anyone who's trying to, like, overcome something, they curate their environment. For example, people who struggle with addiction, like, they remove themselves from situations where there's alcohol. Anyone who's trying to um, improve their situation of mental health should curate their environment to be away from things that we know are, like, detrimental to your mental health if you want to improve your sense of self and whatnot. It sounds so easy, but it's... It's so so hard. Last few things. So... You went to school in New York. So yes. you moved to New York as an 18-year-old. Oh, gosh. Very so that hard. had to also play into a huge adjustment coming from a small suburban area. It was it was culture shock in its finest, I would say. I, I showed up and I was wearing, you know, my boat shoes and my dock shorts and I was like, my polos and I looked so goofy. I got to, I got to Juilliard. And I wanted to burn all my clothes. Oh. I wanted to start, burn all my clothes and start over. Because were you like, this isn't me? Well, that gets us into my whole experience as a teenager in high school here. You know, I was in the closet. I was really insecure. And I did not invest in growing as a person and becoming more confident in who I am. I was kind of obsessed with like emulating what would make me pass and get by and I was just trying to conform I was conforming Uh and when I got to school I was surrounded by people who had come from very different high school experiences where they were encouraged to really self-investigate and they had the space to express themselves whereas I felt very stifled in high school so the way I looked and just who I was as a person I felt really underdeveloped and I was so intimidated by all these people who were my age but seemed so far ahead of me as people and so um, self-assured, and while I was still so um, so insecure. So that was like a real challenge, but I'm so thankful for it because I think it really forced me to grow so much faster than I would have had I gone to a regular college. It would have been surrounded by people probably much more similar to myself, and mm-hmm. I, I had no choice but to really grow. Um, and it gave you the space and the freedom. Yeah. To just be without expectation. And it really kind of impeded my work as like an artist mm-hmm. because that sense of like doubt in myself that being at high school for four years, mm-hmm. it, it just taught me to persecute every display of individuality because mm-hmm. I was afraid it would like, you know, reveal the fact that I was a gay person. Yeah. <laughs> I was so doubtful of myself and my ability. It's just so hard in that situation. In high school for me, it was all just about survival. And I wouldn't have listened probably to someone telling me all the things I wish I had done, you mm-hmm. know? It's just my journey. Yeah, and what I would say to any young person in high school who is kind of like receiving backlash for being really like expressive and genuine and authentic is just to bear down, keep with it. You'll be so thankful you did and you'll be leaps and bounds ahead of people who are not allowing themselves that same space and that same freedom of expression. The people who are your people will find you and they you'll will find them. It, it absolutely happens maybe your story is gonna help somebody right and having a bunch of kind of crappy friends will teach <laughs> you how to value really good ones down the line and you'll be able to recognize and identify when someone's like a true love a true friend mm-hmm. um yeah it's all in the tapestry of mm-hmm. my life. And what about on a practical level in New York? Well, I mean, I was pretty protected when I first got there. I was in the dorms. I had meals. But um, just, like, moving from a suburb to someplace so industrial and so... It can be so oppressive at times, the energy there. It was hard. And not to mention the fact that my school... Has had no campus. It's just one building and the dorm building, and they're connected, and you just go back and forth. And I was so busy that I would go back and forth, back and forth, and I would I wouldn't touch the sidewalk for like six days at a time. That was tough on my mental health because I never left school. So, getting out of the dorms and getting my own apartment while 
that one in of itself was extremely challenging. It was so worth it because all of a sudden I was a person who went to school, not just someone who was like, my full identity wasn't as a Juilliard student. Mm. It was like, I was, a, you know, during the day I go to school and then I come home uh-huh. and this is my life at home. And did you live with, um... Juilliard students. Uh-huh. Yeah, but we had like a strict... In your class? No. Okay. No, never. I never would have done that. Okay. <laughs> that was just some... That was a boundary I set mm-hmm. because I... I enjoyed the camaraderie we all had, and I didn't want to, like, jeopardize it. Yeah. This is just a fun question. What is a role? What is, like, a goal of yours one day? Like, my favorite role I've ever done that I'm dying to do again is Fabrizio in The Light in the Piazza. Mm-hmm. But, like, a huge career goal is to play Connor and Jervin Hansen. Mm. Yeah, that would be awesome. It would be a dream. I do feel like in, in the past you had to wait until you we're older to play roles. Right. And now there's so much out there right. that is telling the story of a younger right. generation mm-hmm. that there is more opportunity for younger Agreed. professionals to get going. Agreed. There are some very young people stepping into huge roles on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the girl who plays Alphabet on tour, very young. The girl, you know, Devin Hansen, 16 years old. Regina Mean Girls, 19, 20 years old. Very, very much a young class of new performers going on right now. At times, I feel I feel old. <laughs> I'm 23 years old, and sometimes I feel like I'm too old to play some roles on Broadway because they're not looking for people my age anymore. They're looking younger, which is intense, and you just can't drive yourself crazy thinking about it because yeah. it's just not your story. Because you have focused so much on your vocal performance specifically, what about your vocal health tips? I would say establish a relationship with an ENT. I've been seeing an ENT in the city for since I was a sophomore in college, and just having that peace of mind, knowing my chords are in good shape, is so helpful for me. So your program doesn't have a regular check? My program does not include that in the or curriculum, but he does seminars, and then we're encouraged to develop a relationship with him. And then having a vocal therapy regimen can be so helpful. For example, during that intensive week I did with the growing studio, we were singing so much. We were doing we were doing so many auditions, so many coaching sessions, and we all wanted to be on our A game. And having little exercises I could do between classes to sort of soothe my chords. So they're called (laughs) semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. And they involve kind of like using a straw in water or Mm -hmm. using a smaller coffee straw. Things that are going to like send pressure back to your chords Mm -hmm. and keep them nice and equalized as far as like pressure beneath and above them. This Mm -hmm. is all getting very technical. And this is maintenance, not like once you're, this is before you get. But once you have damage, for example, if you have pre-nodes or even like nodes that don't need surgery, you'll be prescribed a reduced singing regimen and then also semi occluded vocal exercises. That is those, those will make your nodes go away. They also prevent them from coming. They just reduce inflammation in your cords. Okay. That is something I really recommend. Um, going out to bars and talking to your friends, so bad for your voice. Mm-hmm. Kills you every time. You really regret it every time. I'm not someone who likes to sacrifice having fun, but knowing when you have something coming up, don't go out to bars and don't mm-hmm. talk to people. You just can't do it. Um, lots of water. Cool downs. Warm up and warm down. It is your instrument. I, I know. mean, it, it is what you need for the rest of your life to do what you need to do. So it is a priority. Well, and in my agent meetings, because I do only have the highest voice, um, I had pressure to try to extend my range. Mm. Um, and I had to really step my foot down and put a limit on what they were willing to like advertise me as being able mm. to do. Because I don't want to injure myself so that you can make me more marketable. See, because mm. I might book more jobs and you might have more income as a result of it. But So you have to be firm about what you're willing to agree to mm. put your voice through. Be your own advocate in that because you will face pressure to try things and do things that might be beyond your um, 
might be beyond what is comfortable for you. Even in high school. Even in high school, people were asking me to do things that were beyond my range at that time. And that's something I've struggled with. And I've really had to just accept the fact that my instrument is different, which at times can be so frustrating because I would love to really be able to hit those money notes, but it's not my gift. It's mm-hmm. not what I have. Mm-hmm. I do what I do have is a really soulful, kind of unique sound that mm-hmm. um, I think one day, eventually, will make me really right for something. But for Absolutely. now, I just have to keep, you know, offering what I have and accepting that if it's not what they're looking for, it's really not a mark against my talent. Right. You really have to trust the process and trust your own uniqueness. Yeah. And embrace what makes you different. Now more than ever and moving forward, those things are so important and they will play to your advantage. It's so easy to, um, in musical theater, to get caught up in what you, um, what you lack. Uh, but m- now more than ever, um, having, having unique qualities to whatever you offer is um, valuable. I love that. Embrace what makes you different. And I feel like it's something that as a mom that mm-hmm. I really hope that I have instilled in my kids that not being like everyone else is your superpower. And it's true. It is. I, when I will go into a room and sing like a pop rock song and I will follow a lot of really similar sounding young men, a lot of young men in musical theater have like, are emulating a certain sound. It's a very similar. And when I go in and I, not to brag, but yeah. when I sing, I can tell that it's like, it's hmm. fresh. It's something different. And this thing that I felt like has held me back for so long because I can't sing the highest notes that that a lot of shows are a lot of shows call for is what's going to separate me mm-hmm. and make me memorable. Yeah, it just won't always be that way. Yeah, it'll get you to where you're supposed to be. Where you're supposed to be. It might not always get you where you want to be at that time. Mm-hmm. So it gets you where you're supposed to be. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. But Great. I remember um, after the last musical at South, I made you and Frankie come back in the theater, and I took a picture, and I was like, you guys, you never know. You guys could be on the same <laughs> stage again one day. Uh. <laughs> and that would just be so awesome. But I know I'm going to see you on stage somewhere. I hope oh, so. Yeah. Oh. You're so talented Thank and you. you are so special. Thank and you. I love your vulnerability and it's just been great sitting down and talking to you. Yes, it's been really fun. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to so many. I, listen to so I have many. a feeling this is the first of uh, more to come. I would so. love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks. okay hopefully i can find that picture that i was talking about of jack and frankie and i'll use that as the picture for the notification of a new podcast being up but i hope that you found it as interesting and informative as i hoped that you would just a few things stood out to me is the funny story about how he survived his one dance audition and just standing behind whatever you have to offer and not laughing at yourself. I thought that was incredibly wise advice. And not internalizing opinions of other people and and how important that is. And such a great statement about how the first year out is less about getting the jobs and more about winning the agencies. Wow, that was, yeah, excellent. And how you've got to find your angle. Great tips about vocal health and, of course, embracing what makes you different. And that just came up in a lot of different ways in our conversation and it's something that I really believe in. I think that, I think I I probably said it in the, if I didn't cut it out, um, how what makes you different is your superpower.
And I really believe that. So, yeah, that's all for now. Hopefully this gives you thought bites to kind of chew on and maybe start a conversation with your child about them or your spouse about those things or other people that you know in this community and just keep taking steps forward in your mind and also practically speaking. Um, It's kind of a limbo time. Well, probably shouldn't be a limbo time. Your students should be looking at schools, um, writing essays, and getting things together to apply, looking for their monologues and uh, their vocal pieces, etc. But then again, with all of this COVID and not knowing what the fall is going to look like, I think you still have to move forward with those things, but definitely adds a whole new dimension that I really can't speak on. Hopefully I will come across something that or someone to talk to uh, about that who knows more than I do. So um, thinking of you all, take good care, be well. And don't forget to interact with my podcast in some way. Instagram, Facebook, email me, subscribe, comment, rate, all those things. All right. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot.